Is there a witch in the woods? A curse on your camp? A haunting in your home? It's time to find out. Welcome to the Cat Hour. I'm your host, Briar. And I'm Nora. And this week we've watched Halloween, released in 1978, directed by John Carpenter and produced by Deborah Hill. Uh, but first up, have you watched anything else this week, Nora? No. Uh... I actually haven't done much of anything in the past week except wait on Autumn's um, COVID test results and also take her to, like, get some stuff done at the hospital. So like, it's mostly just been, like, chilling. Um, and not chilling in the sense of a horror podcast, though. Yeah, it sounds pretty busy over at the Blake household right now. And not in, like, the good way. Yeah, just, you know... Trying to get everything done. So, no, uh, I watched some Gundam Wing last night, but other than that, I haven't watched anything. I, uh, most of my watching things time is taken up by watching a particular Legends of Runeterra YouTuber, so. Wow. Learning the, uh, the techniques. Yeah. Well, I, have watched a thing, and I sort of wish I didn't. I watched uh, all of season three of Stranger Things in basically one night. How was that? Um, How did you enjoy the Stranger Things cameo in this movie? They they sure like made a TV show. I think it was a uh, maybe not the best one that people have made recently. No, no. I mean, how does it? It's no Game of Thrones, right? I mean, I've never watched a single episode of Game of Thrones, so I cannot make that comparison. Uh, I mean, my understanding was that people liked Game of Thrones a lot until it got really bad, and that does map to the Stranger Things experience. Stanger Things. Yeah, uh, season three can, is just, like, bad. It's way, way, like, campier and mm-hmm. just, like, goofier in, in, like, good and bad ways than the other seasons. I did not expect that the... The part of the plot where the, the kids are sneaking around a secret Russian base underneath the mall would be, like, the good part of the plot. But that it sounds is. sounds pretty and good. That's weird. Um, yeah, it, it's because it's, like, Steve and Dustin and, like, two new characters just, like, mucking about with Russians for a while. And that's, that's I okay. enjoyed that first season, and then, like, it immediately, like, as soon as I finished it, almost... It was just, like, the whole endeavor became insufferable to me. So I never oh, touched yeah. any of the others. It feels like they got a really big budget increase in between the first two seasons, and they spent it all on 80s music. That sucks. Um, I, I think there was, like, a, a handful of licensed tracks throughout, like, season one and s- season two. In, like, every episode, there is about the same amount of licensed tracks. It's a lot. That do you, sucks. Do you remember the 80s? No. Do you, no, neither do I. I don't know who does who's watching this stuff. I mean, like, I guess people in their 30s know what the 80s were. Maybe. Some of them. Maybe. But who can say? Um, yeah, a lot of the characterization in season 3 is just, like, completely thrown out the window also. Which oh, that's sucks. F- I love when shows do that. That's always good. I love getting to know characters over two seasons, and then, the, ooh, new cast, basically. 
Um, it's especially frustrating with like the sheriff guy who basically has all of his like uh, fucking learning emotions he does in the second season undone and thrown out the window. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's just like an asshole in the third season for no reason. Well, that's fun. And that's that's Stranger Things. Not a, not a great season. You can watch the first one and stop. Yeah. Or just like close your eyes anytime Steve isn't on the on the screen. I don't know that I actually got all that much out of watching it at all, but like you know, if you like it, you enjoy. Yeah, like season one is still definitely the the best as like a show. You know, season two and three are good as vehicles for Steve Harrington, who I love. You know what's shorter than a season of Stranger Things? Absolutely no idea, Nora. Would you tell me, please? You can just watch E.T. Uh, I thought you were going to say, like, Halloween. And you, you can watch Halloween, too. I think Halloween's probably shorter than E.T. Uh, possibly, yes. I have a very long summary right there. I don't know how this happened. Uh, because you love to write summaries. I guess so, yeah. Krampus is still the longest one, I think, which was maybe the worst movie we've That's, watched. Yeah. I will say, for the record, um, I think Halloween is 92 minutes or 91 minutes. Um, E.T. is 114. Yeah. Uh, Halloween, Halloween is really proof that um, no movie has to be over 90 minutes. Yeah, you can just be in and out. Yeah, you can just do a good movie, and it, it's good. Yeah, sometimes I just really wish people would make good movies. That sounds great. Once they start making movies again, we should ask them to make them good. Do you know what the last <laughs> movie I saw in a theater was before the pandemic? What was the last movie you saw in a theater? Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> before that was Char's um. Counterattack, I think. I think mine will have been Parasite, which is, you know, a step up or two. You could say that. I, I would. I'd be willing to say From that. a certain point of view. If you're interested in things like craftsmanship or artistry, then sure. <laughs> Parasite is better than Rise of Skywalker. If you're interested in, like, a thing being good, then Yes. Um, if this had all kicked off before I had a chance to see Parasite, I think it will have either been The Lighthouse or The Door of the Explorer movie. Interesting choice. Hey, th- those are both good movies. <laughs> uh, it just was not what I expected to come out of your mouth. It, it's a fun adventure for f- both adults and kids. Wow, the two genders. The, the Door of the Explorer movie, not The Lighthouse. Uh, the Lighthouse is probably a fun adventure for kids and adults, uh, too. Maybe. I don't know that I would take my kids to see it, probably. It's a lighthouse. What's the worst that can happen? I um, guess, it turns out a lot of things. I guess one of the worst things that could happen is you could go up to it, and it's like swim up to it, and then find yourself in a libertarian hellhole. But That would suck. Do you want to talk about this movie? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, well, let's talk about Halloween. Um, pretty light content warnings. There's like basically basically no gore in this one, so we don't even have the 
the standard slasher fair. Yeah, like that's a thing that I saw that came up a lot in people's like in contemporary and like in retrospect uh, criticism of the movie is that people really noted the lack of explicit violence and uh, somebody on the wiki page is quoted as calling it a, one of the more like restrained horror films. I don't know of, of like. I don't know if I'd call it restrained, but it's definitely like very clean in comparison. Uh, who was this? Adam Rockoff. Despite dispute the recurring descriptions of Halloween as overtly violent or gory, commenting that the film is in fact one of the most restrained horror films, showing very little on-screen violence. I don't know who this guy is, but that's some guy. Some guy. Uh, I I feel like there's it revels more in like the the chase than the violence, right? Uh, or even just like the anticipation. Yeah. But we will get to that anticipation very shortly. On a cold Halloween night in the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, our perspective marches towards a white house and sees a young couple through the front door. As I head upstairs, we move around and enter through the kitchen, finding a large, sharp knife in a drawer before creeping through into the living room. The boyfriend comes downstairs and leaves, but we go upstairs. We pick up and put on a clown mask from off the floor before entering the girl's bedroom, and she turns, recognizing the intruder as Michael, and quickly tries to cover herself up but he raises the knife and slashes her to death before walking back downstairs and calmly out of the house. A car pulls into the driveway, which Mr. and Mrs. Myers leave from to find their son, now unmasked, still holding the knife in one hand as he stares out blankly. Um, I didn't know this was how the movie started. I knew, I knew obviously like the character of Michael Ditchett as a child before as an adult, but I didn't know it was actually in the movie. Yeah. Um, it was interesting watching this. Uh, last time I watched this, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast even, was last Halloween-ish time? Yeah. Um, we saw a midnight showing of it. I don't know if it was near Halloween itself, but it was like October-ish. Um, but... The mask was always interesting because, you know, obviously he's wearing a mask for the rest of the movie. Um, and then, like, I also wasn't expecting any first-person stuff when I first saw this. Yeah. Um, and now, like, the difference between this and Friday the 13th is, like, pretty, pretty tangible, I feel. The differences are, but I think there's a lot of similarities that are definitely stuff 
Friday the 13th is pulling from this, right? Yeah, for sure. It, it just seems like Friday the 13th kind of learned a different lesson from it than it could have. Yeah, I think it is less like trying to co- like openly copy Halloween and more just like taking techniques mm-hmm. that we used here and like how can we use these in a different context. Yeah. Um, Because, like, this is the point, basically, where this movie discards the first-person stuff. It is only for the opening. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think my not expecting it to be there is knowing that, like, there is a trend with a lot of movies, a lot of, like, horror franchises to do, like, the over-explaining of the killer later in the franchise. So I guess I just wasn't expecting any explanation whatsoever, really. I'm sure there's a like beleaguered explanation for movies into the Halloween franchise about what his deal is. Oh yeah, I understand there is a like a remake, and then there is a separate s- sequel to the original movies that retcons a lot of the original sequels. It sounds pretty complicated. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about that remake as while we're mentioning it. Yeah, I have a copy of that remake right on my couch. Wow. Um, but yeah, like I said, this is where we. This is the last time we see the first person from Michael. Mm-hmm. I think for the rest of the movie, we basically mostly see Michael like in, in the distance, lingering. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, so yeah, 15 years later, Dr. Sam Loomis and his assistant Marion Chambers are driving to a local sanitarium to pick up the now 21-year-old Michael Myers so that he can be put before a judge to determine his future. Um, I don't really know how like court or anything works in the US. I don't know if you can't be like tried until you're 21 or something. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything about that. And also this is... The 70s? So who knows? True. Um, However, once they arrive, they find that many of the patients are outside. Loomis leaves the car to investigate, but a patient climbs on top of the car, reaching through the window to attack Marianne and causing her to veer off the road. He smashes the window, causing her to flee, and steals the car to escape. Loomis rushes over and consoles Marianne, telling her that the evil is gone. Michael Myers is on the loose. Yep. Back in Haddonfield, it is Halloween again, and, uh, and Laurie Strode is heading to school. Her father, a real estate agent, passes her a key to drop off at the abandoned Myers house on her way, and as she walks, she meets Tommy Doyle, a young boy that she'll be babysitting later that night. Uh, as they pass the Myers house, Tommy wants her not to approach it on the grounds that something terrible happened there once, but Laurie walks up and drops the key off anyway. As she walks away, a mysterious figure watches her leave from the doorway. I didn't really internalize her character name for most of the movie, because in my head it's just like, oh, that's young Jamie Lee Curtis. No, it's Laurie Strode. This is a movie. It's a a falsehood. What? Are they lying? Yes. This is all fake, Nora. I don't know about that. I'm, I'm sorry you had to learn this way. Uh, meanwhile, Dr. Loomis has made absolutely no headway convincing anyone that Michael is a danger to others, and sets out to drive to Haddonfield himself and stop him. 
At school, Laurie sees the car from the Smith's Grove Sanitarium that we know was stolen by Michael parked outside on the street. A figure stood beside it in a grey mask watching her. He looks back a moment later, however, and both have disappeared. At the elementary school, the children are leaving as Tommy is confronted by a few bullies who tell him that the boogeyman is going to get him tonight. Scared, he tries to run away, but trips and breaks his big old pumpkin. Uh, it seemed a little heavy for this kid to be carrying it anyway. He fell right on it and just split. Yep, it's unfortunate. That That's bullies for you, I guess, smashing people's pumpkins. Smashing pumpkins? There's a joke here, probably. I'm not sure why he brought this thing to school. I think he's taking it home from school. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, I guess they probably like brought a bunch of pumpkins for the kids. Uh, can't help but notice the bullies didn't get one. Uh, who knows? Maybe they don't care. They don't seem the type to uh, practice Halloween in this way. Uh, but I think he likes uh, them. They were too, too cool for the yearly traditions, huh? Mm. Um, also, this this gang of bullies is just the cast of Stranger Things. Oh, uh, what, just like the regular kids? That's like... The, the skinny one with, like, the plaid shirt tucked in, the one with, like, the mop of hair. It just, they just look like the cast of Stranger Things to me. Mm. I mean, the thing I would assume that the Stranger Kids, the uh, Stranger Kids, <laughs> the Stranger Things cast is supposed to be, like, doing is the Goonies, right? Sure. I've never seen that, but. I, I have seen brief sections of it, enough that I can, like, draw that line. Is that the one with the clown? No, that's it. Oh, right. Okay. I think so, at least. Gosh, I should know these things. Well, you know, the horror movies. Oh, well. They'd be like this. We're here to learn about them. <laughs> uh, the bullies laugh and run off, but one of them is grabbed by Michael. Terrified, he squirms out of his grip and runs off. And Michael then gets back into his car and drives alongside Tommy as he sadly walks away down the sidewalk. I don't know if this is, like, stalking Tommy uh, to murder him and deciding not to, or just, like, watching to make sure this kid doesn't get bullied anymore. Uh, hmm. I hadn't thought about that. I had understood it as, like, he saw him with Laurie earlier. Oh, uh, yeah, that like, makes sense. Ah, the thing I recognize. Look at it for a bit. Ah, I need to follow this child. They will lead me. Lady. Um, the idea so, of Michael Myers being this like, like staunchly anti-bully like guardian is very funny to me. Of like bullies just like messing with a kid and then turning a corner and seeing this guy in a white mask and a knife come at them. That's that's pretty he, funny. He never like threatens the kids, right? Like right. other than this moment where he's like. Okay, and, fuck you, buddy. And he's not really threatening them in the way that he is, uh, like, other people. He, but, like, there is a powerful charisma to him in every scene. And he's still yeah. directing that at them in this sense of, like, uh, I'm going to be here and you're going to be extremely uncomfortable by my presence. And that's enough. Yeah, like, I don't think that kid could have squirmed away from him if he didn't want him to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
somewhere out on the highway to Hanfield, Dr. Loomis calls ahead from a, a phone book, book, phone box, and tries to warn the Haddonfield Police Department that they do not seem to believe him. Uh, he gets ready to keep going towards Haddonfield, but notices a tow truck parked by the roadside nearby, where he finds Michael's hospital gown and the matchbook from the sanitarium car that belonged to Marion. Even more sure that Michael is headed towards Haddonfield, Loomis rushes away, not noticing the body of the tow truck driver lying in the grass nearby. Uh, Laurie, having finally finished school for the day, leaves with her two friends, Linda and Annie. Uh, Annie, who is going to be babysitting for a family across the street from the one that Laurie is. As they walk, the sanitarium car speeds past, stopping briefly when Annie yells at it before rushing off again. Linda leaves while Laurie and Annie continue on, and Laurie suddenly spots Michael standing beside a bush, watching her. He very, like, quietly steps behind it when noticed, and Annie doesn't see him. Nor does she believe that he was ever there when Laurie insists, and they both go check behind the bush to find no sign of him. Um, I loved him just, like, calmly sidestepping away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, did, she, did, she, did she see me? She saw me. Shit. Okay. It'd be cool, Mike. It's too early. You haven't charged up your super. Uh, they run into Annie's father, the town sheriff, and Laurie goes home. There, she looks out the window and spots Michael watching from a neighbor's garden, and once again, he disappears after a second look. Eventually, though, Annie picks her up and takes her off to go babysit. Over at the cemetery, Dr. Loomis, having finally arrived in town, visits the grave of Judith Myers, murdered in the opening of the movie, and finds that her headstone has been removed. Uh, I, I believe the cemetery like manager blames this on just like kids, mm-hmm. who, who I guess be stealing headstones in Haddonfield. Fair. You got, gotta have something to do. Not much else to do, am I right? 70s. Uh, Loomis takes this to mean that there can be no doubt that Michael is somewhere in town. Um, Annie and Laurie, who are still driving, share a joint while Laurie talks about her strange experiences that morning. Uh, Annie is dismissive. Behind them, Michael slowly continues to stalk them in his car, and they too stop at a store to speak to Annie's father, who stood outside. He explains that masks, knives, and rope have been stolen from the store, but that it was probably just some kids. Uh, who I guess, again, have nothing else to do. Seems weirdly unconcerned that children are stealing knives. I feel like, you know, maybe a little bit more cause for concern. Look, kids need their knives and their masks and their ropes. Yeah, I mean, I guess how are you going to steal headstones without them? Exactly. The two continue on to their babysitting jobs as Dr. Loomis pulls up and is forced to wait on the sidewalk if he wants to talk to the sheriff as Michael very casually drives past in the background. Um, uh, Laurie and Annie continue to talk, chatting about the school dance the next day before splitting up to start babysitting, Laurie heading over to the Doyle house and Annie heading to the Wallace's. As she heads into the house, Michael gets out of his car and watches Annie from behind a tree. Loomis and the sheriff arrive at the abandoned Myers house, which they search, and they find a half-eaten dog, and the sheriff says that no man would ever eat a dog like that. Loomis explains that Michael is no mere man, and later tells the sheriff about his experience as a doctor working with Michael for 15 years and seeing nothing but pure evil within him. The sheriff moves to put out uh, an all-points bulletin, but Loomis tells him to just inform the local police, since if the news gets out, people will see masked killers on every street corner. 
It is, after all, Halloween. Loomis, believing Michael will return, decides to stake out the Myers house. Uh, I like the little touch about like not spreading the news that wide. Like it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Loomis also has like, like we learn Loomis has a gun with him. Very prepared to use it. <laughs> a little, a little too jumpy, maybe. But then he pulls out his his little permit and says, "Don't worry, I have a permit." <laughs> Don't worry, I'm allowed to do this, Shaq. Um, over at Tommy's house, Laurie is reading King Arthur to him, but he gets bored of it and pulls out a stack of hidden comic books instead. He asks Laurie what the boogeyman is, but the phone rings before she can answer. It's Annie calling to explain that she's secured, secured, calling to explain that she's secured her a date with the boy she likes for the dance tomorrow. As Tommy looks out the window and sees Michael stood outside the Wallace house where Annie is babysitting, he yells and tries to tell Laurie that the boogeyman is outside, but. The coast is clear when she looks, and she does not believe him. Um, I like this little reversal of her, like, not being believed about it, and then swapping to be the person who doesn't believe anyone is there. Mm-hmm. She's convinced herself and has now become the cynic. Um, over at the Wallace house, Michael stalks Annie before strangling the family dog. Annie goes outside to the laundry room to wash her clothes, never noticing Michael looking looking in on her from the doorway. She manages to lock herself inside by accident, eventually getting stuck in the window until Lindsay, the girl she's babysitting for, comes to tell her she has a call from her boyfriend. As it turns out, her boyfriend has an opportunity to sneak out and asks Annie to come pick him up. To facilitate this, Annie takes Lindsay over to the Doyle house so that Laurie can watch both of them, before getting back into the Ward's garage to get into her car. She finds it locked, however, and goes to find her keys inside the house. She returns and opens the car door, not needing to use the keys, and sits in the driving seat before realizing what has just happened. Suddenly, Michael leaps from the back seat and grabs her, choking her before drawing a knife and cutting her throat. I, I love the little moment of her like coming back to the car and just getting in. Mm-hmm. And there's just like a beat of like, hang on. It's like when you walk into a room and forget what you were doing. Yeah. Or, or like, oh, when, you, when you realize you've thrown out the food and you're holding the wrapper. Yeah. For me, it's like the sensation of getting up to make a drink or something and then sitting back at my desk and not having that drink. <laughs> I'm like, huh. This isn't right. And then I do get killed by Michael Myers every time. You know, it really speaks to your dedication. Yeah, you know, I just have to keep doing things the way I do them. Uh, where was I? Ah, so, back over at the Doyle house, Tommy spots Michael carrying Annie's body back inside and once again tries to tell Laurie about it, but she doesn't see it and doesn't believe him. Loomis, still maintaining a vigil at the Myers house, <laughs> scares off some kids by making a <laughs> spooky voice before he is in turn surprised by the sheriff. He makes such a good, like, dopey smile after he scares them off, too. He's so it's proud very of funny. Yeah, he's real happy with his performance. I can't remember exactly what he says, but it's very good. It's something like, get lost, kids. It's like, get your ass away from there or something. It's very good. Um, he tries to warn the sheriff of the threat that Michael poses again. Uh, but meanwhile, across the street from the Doyles, Linda and her boyfriend Bob pull up in their van 
already very drunk. They enter the house to find it completely empty and dark. Well, I guess not completely empty because Michael is silently watching them from the hall as they embrace on the couch. Laurie and the kids, having finally finished carving their jack-o'-lantern, carry it into the living room and sit down to keep watching some movies. Uh, the phone rings. It is Linda calling, unsure where Annie is, but Laurie explains that Lindsay is over at the Doyle's for the night, and with the house to themselves, Linda and Bob go upstairs to fuck, ignoring a call and simply not noticing Michael's shadow on the wall as they do so. They fuck for, like, maybe 11 seconds? And then they're both, like, ultra-satisfied, and it's just... Dad, babe, go get me a beer. It's so straight. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess they just didn't want, like, a protracted scene of it. Sure, but you could, like, cut away and cut back. As it stands, it's like, oh, we're gonna go at it for, like, 11 seconds, 12 seconds tops, and then we're both done. I don't know, they're both very drunk. They might just be lying to themselves. Yeah, fair. Uh, Bob heads downstairs to fetch a beer for the two of them, but is distracted by a noise. He investigates the kitchen, but finds nothing until he tries opening the pantry door, from which Michael leaps out and slams him against the cabinets. Bob is hoisted up and impaled through the stomach, dying while Michael stands there and watches him. Um, back upstairs, Linda is still lying in bed as the door slowly opens to reveal Michael pretty obviously stood there with a sheet over his head pretending to be a ghost. Fortunately, he has Bob's glasses on over the sheet, so his disguise is flawless. <laughs> um, this is maybe like my one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. No, it's it's really good. It's a funny little little scene. Yeah, it really speaks to like Michael still being very kind of like kid like. Mm -hmm. So oh, I'm gonna put a costume back on. It worked last time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Linda tries to get him to talk, but receives no answer, even after she shows off the breasts, and she gets up to call Laurie instead. Before she can speak, however, Michael approaches and strangles her with a telephone cord, Laurie interpreting her screams as a prank. Excellent work, Agent 47. <laughs> um, Laurie tries to call back after seeing the lights in the Wise house go off, but nobody answers. Upstairs, at the very least, the kids are fast asleep. Uh, over at the Myers house, our gallant hero, Dr. Loomis, finally looks around and notices the sanitarium car down the street, which he rushes off to investigate. I uh, wish he did this earlier, maybe. Uh, he was distracted. <laughs> yes, he had plenty of kids to scare away. In my mind, that's just been on like a five-minute cycle, just fresh kids walking up to the Myers house. <laughs> and now that worried that something might be wrong, Laurie heads across the street but finds the Wallace house locked. She walks around to the kitchen door but finds no sign of anyone until she goes upstairs and finds Annie dead on the bed, Judith Myers' headstone resting above her. She staggers back in tears until Bob's body falls down into the doorway, scaring her again, and screams as the closet opens to reveal Linda's lifeless corpse. Pamela Voorhees in the audience takes some notes. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously this very much made me think of the ending of Friday the 13th, where this yeah. basically happens. Yeah, basically. No one gets thrown through a window, but you gotta no, have those kinds of touches. 
we get a big headstone instead, which I guess he's just been like lugging around. I had to go back to my car to get the headstone, put it on the bed, really finish the scene. It was just in his inventory. <laughs> yeah, he didn't actually put it here on purpose. He just needed to like make some room. Yeah, he he was over limit when he was trying to move the bodies around, so he dropped the headstone on the bed. Yeah, he couldn't fast travel to outside without it. <laughs> um, Laurie flees, backing up against a wall, as from behind her, in a darkened doorway, Michael's mask slowly comes into view. He reaches out to slash Laurie, who topples over the balcony railing, falling down the stairs, and mercifully only hurting her ankle. Michael chases her into the kitchen, where she locks the door to find that she is also locked in. The door to outside, jammed by rake. As Michael smashes through the kitchen door to unlock it, Laurie desperately does the same, shattering a glass pane and dislodging the rake. She rushes to the porch of another house, screaming for help, but is ignored. She tries to make it back to the dollhouse, but finds that she has lost her keys, and tosses a potted plant near an upstairs window to wake Tommy, who comes downstairs to unlock the door for her. They lock the door behind them and turn off the lights, but Laurie is ambushed once again as she realises the window has been left open. Michael misses his slash, however, and Laurie stabs him with a knitting needle into his neck, causing him to collapse on the floor, seemingly dead. Laurie drops the knife onto the floor and goes upstairs to check on the kids. Dr. Loomis meets with the sheriff outside, who drives off, now believing his story. Upstairs, Laurie tries to console the kids, but is attacked by Michael again after he wanders up the stairs, obviously not dead. She tries to hide in a closet and stabs Michael in the eye with a coat hanger when he breaks through the door, distracting him long enough for Laurie to take the knife that he dropped and stab him. Uh, this time he's definitely dead, for mm -hmm. sure. She leaves the closet and tells the kids to go call the police at the Mackenzie's house. They go outside and get noticed by Loomis, who runs up into the Doyle house just in time to save Laurie from Michael, who has once again risen to his feet. Loomis shoots him seven, uh, not seven times, six times, I believe, and he falls off the balcony, slamming into the ground below. Laurie asks if that was the boogeyman, and Dr. Loomis replies that it was. As we look back, however, Michael's body has once again left the scene. As the film ends, we see the familiar Myers home as the sound of breathing beneath Michael's mask gets louder and heavier. At the end. This movie fucking whips. Yeah, it's a lot better than, like, I was expecting it to be good. Obviously, it is a thing that, like, spawns 
mm-hmm. a lot of like slasher culture afterwards. I really sure. enjoyed it. I it's just like it's just one of those movies where it's it's hard to come up with really like a thing to describe it other than it's just like a really good movie. <laughs> I just it's my favorite movie we've seen on this show, I think. Um, yeah. And like I talked about the runtime a lot earlier and it's just like it just feels really good to sit down and watch like a really tight 90 minutes that just paces everything super well and like the tension is is spaced out just right and it just feels good to watch yeah just like no complications just only the stuff you need only the parts you need yeah in a lot of ways it just it really does feel like a blueprint for a lot of the other stuff we've watched Mm -hmm. it's interesting because like last time we watched scream and then in scream there's it's like oh it's the 90s it's the millennium motives are relevant now but like there was no real motive in halloween other than him evil yeah i mean isn't this literally referenced in scream they watched this movie in scream which is funny because we watched scream and then they watch Halloween inside of Scream, and now we watched Halloween, and next episode we're going to be watching the thing from another world, which is the movie that they watch inside of Halloween. Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't it? I'm sure it's literally referenced in one of the conversations about motive. I don't remember. It might be a different, like, slasher killer, but I'm sure someone says, like, oh, did X have a motive? No? It's scarier when they don't. I don't remember. I don't. The dialogue uh, that was. If that happened, I'm guessing it was probably in the in the cool uh, uh, video store scene. But I, it is completely gone from my mind. Yeah, it, I might be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm right there. I, I feel a lot of the things that this movie does is the kinds of things that then go on to be what Scream is riffing on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, just a lot of like the morality play stuff that gets picked up in like the rules of horror mm-hmm. probably gets its starts here, even though I did read that like John Palpatine was really dismissal dismissive of that yeah. stuff. So there's a couple of different ways you can like things you can read from this movie. Um John Carpenter's take on his own movie is maybe the least interesting and most shallow version. Um, I have his quote here. Uh, Carpenter himself dismisses the notion that Halloween is a morality morality play, regarding it as merely a horror film. According to Carpenter, critics completely missed the point there. He explains, The one girl who is the most sexually uptight just keeps stabbing this guy with a long knife. She's the most sexually frustrated. She's the one that's killed him. Not because she's a virgin, but because all that sexually repressed energy starts coming out. She uses all these phallic symbols on the guy. Which is, like, really selling this movie short, I think. I I do think that is less him saying, like, oh, the movie is about, like, repressed sexuality and more him, like, trying to say, like, this is why it can't be the morality play thing, right? But, like, in all of that, the things that he's describing here 
When I was watching the movie, I saw a totally different thing, which is uh, Laurie stabbing Michael first with a knitting needle and then with a clothes hanger, which are two like pretty like like classic icons of feminine labor that she uses to subvert his like violence to take his knife from him to then stab him with. And so, like, I thought that was a more interesting, like, sort of angle than this, like, sexually frustrated stuff, which I I think is just shallow and you could, like, say something more interesting about your own movie than this. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't think he's saying that's what the movie's about, just to, like, uh, he's throwing that out, like, as the dismissal of what, he's, like, saying it can't be it isn't that she wins because she's a virgin and the others died because they weren't, right? Like, that's not why I did this. Mm-hmm. But it's just, like, I never would have seen it with this reading. And I think that it's just, like, kind of a... Like, uh, this comes at the end of a big list on Wikipedia of different uh, forms of analysis and different lenses on this movie that people have done mm-hmm. throughout the years. And it's just, like... Everyone else has something more interesting to say about this movie than John Carpenter. Yeah. Like the thing that he I mean, has to know. say I'm, about it is just kind of boring. I'm like pretty chill with it just being a horror movie. Like, damn, here, here is a scary situation that works for me. Yeah, sure. But like, I'm definitely the kind of person that just doesn't need something to like be about anything more. Really, mm-hmm. um, I'm just like happy to take it for what it is on the surface. Yeah, the movie's really good. Yeah, it's really fun. I like how, like, consistently a lot of the scenes are shot with, like, a hallway or a doorway, like, some kind of passage in the background that Michael can be lurking at, Mm -hmm. or, like, Mm -hmm. can be not lurking at to amp you up for the next time that he is. Yeah. It's it's constantly reminding you of the little, the not dangers, but little potentials for danger. Little like holes in the safety of this very domestic, yeah, like, sort of scene. Um, there's always a window there. There's always a door. Like if somebody actually wanted to, then there's almost no safety in this whole like town yeah it's just like constantly constantly pushing the idea of, like here is a here is a doorway that he could come in through if he hasn't already mm-hmm. um, I think that works really well for the tension yeah I guess it's a classic for a reason yeah a really good logo I guess on this movie I want to mention that yeah, it's a nice font. Um, yeah, just the the knife with the pumpkin. The, the DVD mm-hmm. we had had a version of it on like the screen that was sort of three D ish and moved around. It was very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm easily impressed by cool logos. Do we have more to say about Halloween? Um. I don't think so. I'm definitely interested in seeing some more of the franchise. Maybe once we have, like, finished doing the Friday the 13th. Yeah. 
Um, we didn't get any emails because, once again, I have uh, just neglected to ask for them on time. But, of course, you can always send emails to exportaudiopodcast at gmail.com. And you can send movie recommendations in as well. Yeah. Uh, are you ready to leave Haddonfield? I, I'm getting in the car right now. Where are we headed, Nora? We're headed to Funko.com. Oh, my favorite place. Um, it definitely isn't haunted. Or cursed. Yeah, no, there's no hauntings or curses here. Uh, we are greeted on the splash page. Celebrate Freddy's birthday. 50% off supersized pops. That's Freddy Funko, of course. Ah, yes, the famous guy. Mm-hmm. We're going to look for Halloween. We're going to get a Michael Myers Funko Pop. I had assumed that we were going to get some for this one. It's been a while since we just got a straight-up Funko Pop for the thing we watched. Yeah, we normally don't. Um, I'm going to send you the link here. Uh, let me take a look. <laughs> okay, so very, very first thoughts here. My initial thoughts. Wow, they did not do the mask justice. <laughs> um, this thing's abysmal. Like we, we we like to have fun here in the Funko Zone. Usually, I say some you know goofy things about these Funkos. This one just isn't good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's worth noting in the t- upper right-hand corner of the second image, this is the third Funko Pop. Wow, this is an early one, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, I- I'm glad they got some more practice in after this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the mask is just, like, really flat, which doesn't work because it's a very, like, defined mask. It is a very specific, like, face that it is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the also, just isn't he has eyebrows? I don't remember <laughs> the mask having eyebrows. He has eyebrows on the mask. Yeah, that's. I don't know if that one's accurate. I mean, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, okay, I'm seeing a lot of the the remake mask, which definitely doesn't have. Well, okay, the original mask does have quote-unquote eyebrows, but they aren't colored like that. There's, It's like a texture. Mm, it's just like molded. Yeah, it seems like. Let me look up. Does Michael Myers have eyebrows? Yeah, like, they're there. It's just... Here, I'm sending you the image. Thank you, I need to study it. For... They're definitely yeah, there. Yeah, they're just a part of the mold. They are definitely the same color as the face, which they have um, forgotten about, clearly, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, aside from the mask, he just has, like, his boiler suit, the knife, which has a bunch of blood on it. That's about it. It's a very, like, simple and not very good funk out. I think I can pretty, pretty safely, no jokes here, give this one a zero out of five. It kind of mm. sucks. Mm-hmm. No Funko Understand. this Funko. I wonder what Funko number one is. Maybe. 
Ooh, there was a Freddy Krueger linked below that was number two. This also doesn't look particularly great. First Funko Pop. Might be Batman. Well. Beetlejuice was number five? I guess they just did like a run of like horror. Well, I guess like comedy horror in the situation of Beetlejuice. Oh no, I found it. It's Jason Voorhees. Oh, okay. Oh wait, this is pop movies. I don't know if that's a different thing. Um, disrespectful to Pamela Voorhees, you know, putting the putting the cart before the horse. You know, everyone forgets. Wow, they didn't do Chucky until fifty six. <laughs> I should watch more of those child play movies. Oh yeah, there is a there is a bestseller section on the front page now, and it's all like you know those pop culture characters that people know and love: Huckleberry Hound, uh, Notorious B.I.G., Catwoman, uh, The Mandalorian. There's also just like a Cyclops. People love this the mythical creature, the Cyclops. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm trying to find just a list of all Funko Pops, and they're separated into categories like Marvel, DC Heroes, Disney, Star Wars, television, movies. But then you scroll down, you get Harry Potter slash Fantastic Beasts, Animation, and South Park. Um, hmm. Then near the bottom you get Games, League of Legends, and Halo, Magic, and more. I can't just find a big list of Funko Pops. I know this has to exist. Yeah, I tried going to like the shop all products and just doing oldest first, and that is not actually the thing I'm looking for. These are not in that order. Oh well. Oh well, you could buy a Pez dispenser of Ramona Flowers. No thanks. Nah, not interested. I'm good. Okay, so the numbers might are different based on series. Yeah, that's why I mentioned that the the Jason Voorhees was like number one in movies. I suppose you could try and find out what line came first. I guess. Um, I don't know. If we can't find it, we are the the preeminent Funko scholars. So I would assume that if we can't find it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. I do have one question for you. What question do you have for me, Nora? Where can people find you online? Well, people can find me online at Wagazal on Twitter. They can find links to all the work I do at Wagazal. 
Twitter.com. What about you? You can find me on Twitter at neither Nora. You can find everything I do at norablake.online. Um, if you become a patron at the Export Audio Podcast Network Patreon at patreon.com slash export audio, uh, we have lots of patron exclusive podcasts going up lately. I think there's, I think it's weekly. There's a new thing every week, which is either Duo Lane, which where me and Olivia play League of Legends or Legends of Runeterra and like hang out before recording our League of Legends podcast, or Curly and I bullshitting about whatever the fuck we want after recording our Mega Man podcast. Um, so there's lots of stuff over there. Go give us a dollar and check it out. Uh, well, if that is all, time is up for the car hour. Send in your questions as we watch The Thing from Another World from 1951. But until then, good night. Good night. As a matter of fact, it was. Did we get any questions in this week? Nope, because I didn't put out the call in time, but, uh... That happens. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have Funko stuff to talk about for this one. No, I'm recording on a pump filter now, so, uh, no more Funko Pops, I guess. Damn. Because it's filtered. <laughs> That's heartbreaking. Filtered the pop. Well, I have a pop. I've had a pop filter this entire time, and they've gone through. Uh, maybe that's why all of them get zero out of five. Ah, I can just only see the. None of the score gets through. Yeah, you can only see their flaws and their sins. Oh, that's my power. I don't know if I've ever told you about this. Your superpower is to know the sins of a Funko Pop. Yep, it's a very niche power. Uh, utterly useless in 99% of situations.